Welcome to True Talk on WMNF 88.5 with uh, Ahmed and Samar. Um, we're going to be having a live show talking about Tunisia and what's happening in Israel with the recent elections. This is True Talk on WMNF. Um, we'll be right back after this music break. Welcome to True Talk on WMNF uh, 88.5. This is our weekly global affairs show, uh, broadcasting live from Tampa, Florida. Um, this is, my name is Ahmed Badir. My co-host Samar Jarrah is on with me live. Samar, good morning. Good morning, Ahmed. How are you? Hope all is well. All is well. Thank you so much. Um, that was a song, actually. A, this guy, he's Moroccan. His name is, um, have you heard of him before? Is he the Balti one that you keep playing all the time? The Balti is Tunisian somewhere. And now I, okay. I regret so why it because I should have Why didn't played, you play the Tunisian one today? I was just going to say, Monji. let's go back and just first ask you, do you know this guy? No. Um, okay. Uh, we're going to actually play a promo uh, election soon, so I'll let you guys know when to play that. Uh, but this guy's name is Saad Lamjard. Lamjard. Oh, gosh. I don't like him at all. Oh, you don't? But you didn't write <laughs> No, because don't I, don't him. Like, I don't like his reputation. I don't listen to him. Oh, He's, I don't know about his reputation. I know about his no. music. Uh, no, I don't I want like you to him. Hold that. I, I want you to Summer, hold that thought. And when we come back after this promo, election promo that we're going to play, I want you to tell me uh, what you don't like about him. Um, go ahead and let's play the promo, please. 
The last day to vote is Tuesday, November 8th. You can find information about ways to vote early in person, by mail, or on Election Day on our website, wmnf.org election. You can also find links to information about some of the lesser-known races on the ballot, like judges. We will carry Democracy Now!'s election night special beginning at 9 in the evening on Tuesday on our HD3 channel, The Source. You can listen on an HD radio or on WMNF.org. That voice sounds familiar. Yeah. Sean <laughs> Kinnan doing some advertising, the news director at WMNF. Well, it's really important. Early voting has already started. Um, some are, are, have you voted yet? No, I am going to. Oh, you vote. like to go on election day? Yeah, and I tweet about it and I take uh, films and uh, I uh, I tell the whole uh, world about it. And several times, by the way, I had Arab stations asking me to report live and then I tell them, but I can't keep my camera on while inside the polling uh, station, but I can just do outside. But uh, people... Uh, People enjoy this uh, idea of uh, voting. What do you mean enjoy? It's critical. Uh, no, I meant abroad watching yeah, yeah, the, the voting yeah. here. Yeah, I, yes, they do, and especially, uh, you know, I am. I mean, they know that I am an immigrant and I have dual citizenship. Let's say so. But for instance, if there is an Arab country where uh, has election, you really have to be, um, you have to have the citizenship of that country to be able to vote. And it's very difficult not to be born in a country in the Arab world and get uh, that uh, country's citizenship. Well, in so Florida, for instance, for instance, I was born in Kuwait and I lived there until I was 13 or 12 and uh, I never I never got citizenship. And when I visited Ahmed, I had to get a visa. And when the gentleman was looking at the airport at my passport and my passport was American, he started laughing and I said, what's wrong? He said, oh, my gosh, you were born in Kuwait. You're an American. I said, no, I'm a Palestinian born in Kuwait. But hey, guys, you never gave my father or myself the citizenship. Right. It's unlike America, where if you're born here, you can get this. You will get this. You are an American. Yeah. American, natural. And you can even run for president. Yep. But yep. Uh, you can be born in many of these other countries and... Um, and live never, all your life. Yeah. All your life. I met somebody, for example, in the United Arab Emirates, and he was born there. His wife was born there, but his parents um, were not Emirati or from the UAE. And when they um, then he he was working there, and at some point his wife got pregnant. And uh, he wasn't getting the same, I guess, uh, health benefits as the Emiratis. He was actually just being, you know, treated like anyone else, like even like a guest. And it was uh, he, he he was very frustrated about that. But let me just get back to just to remind our listeners that um, um, right now, you know, the midterm elections have started. Many states have early voting here in Florida. We are early voting already started and will continue. Uh, through the weekend. If you haven't voted yet, please make sure that you vote early or vote on election day. The benefit of early voting is you can go to any of the early voting sites, which you could find at the Su Supervisor of Elections website, uh, 
or if um, on election day, you can only go to your designated precinct. Um, I like to, you know, vote early just to get it out of the way. I plan to do that today. Did my research and going to go do that. Um, Speaking of voting and democracy, we're now going to turn our attention to what's happening in Tunisia. Tunisia um, had was part of the was actually the first country that triggered what what is now called the Arab Spring, a a time when um, um, Arab populations or Arab citizens revolted against uh, dictatorship regimes in the area, demanding freedom and democracy uh, and many other demands. And uh, in Tunisia, they were able to topple their government um, and they eventually, you know, went on their way to some sort of uh, path to democracy. And uh, now there is a problem with that. And we're joined by uh, Munji Dawadudi from, and this happens whenever I'm broadcasting from, I'm actually live, but I'm not at, I'm not at the studio, I'm at home. And the lawn guy decides to start blowing behind my you know, where I am. So I don't know if that's going to happen. That's well, anyway, uh, welcome to the studio or to a true talk. Monji, he's the president of the Tunisian United Network. Uh, thank you, Ahmed, for having me. Uh, and it's Monji Dawadi. I know my last name has a lot of. <laughs> yes, it's Monji Dawadi. Thank you for having me. Uh, Munji, even though I've known you for like a decade, I always mispronounce your name because uh, I never like Arabic names. Like some are some are Jarrah. Last the name means you know surgeon. What's what's right. the wedi mean? Once maybe if I know what it is in Arabic, then I'll remember. <laughs> well, it is it is an Arabic name, but it's uh, it's um, spelled in French and pronounced in English. So there's a lot of complications there. The wedi. Oh, what is the original? Uh, Right, the wedi comes from the word that that means to protect, so oh. some a protector the wedi. So uh, okay, the wedi, Monji the wedi, but yes, I hear it with a the like a th, but you actually have like a, a th, th, but it's but you have correct. dh spelled with a dh. Yes, okay. As I said, it's a, the French spelling of the is with a dh, unfortunately. Yeah, for some reason, whenever I see, I always think Dawood, you know, like the prophet Dawood. <laughs> right, because it it's, the, it's closer to the to the, the, the yeah uh, to the word Dawood comes from Dawadi. The people think that it's uh, originates from that, but no, it's not. Okay, well, you're joining us live from Washington D.C. You're the president of the Tunisian United Network. Democracy in Tunisia seems to be in trouble right now, or has been on a decline. For listeners are not familiar with the area, just um, I know that you know Tunisia was part of the Arab Spring. They went through this uh, time. They triggered the Arab Spring. They toppled the dictatorship regime. This was back in 2011. And then uh, what happened after that? Um, again, thank you for having me, and uh, good morning to all your listeners. Um, Tunisia, this small little country in North Africa, sits on the Mediterranean. Uh, we're, we're considered part of Africa, we're considered part of the Middle East, part of the Arab world uh, and the Maghreb region. Um, it's a small country, but it had a great impact uh, back in, especially back in 2011, as you mentioned, uh, when it triggered the all the wave of protests that brought in uh, popular changes, uh, changes that are directed to uh, 
to to establish the rule of law, to establish democracy, respect for human rights, and bring basic dignity to the people in the in the region. Um, and we managed, with all the odds, with all the difficulties, Tunisia managed to make it through about 10 to 11 years of uh, democratic transition. Um, during that time, obviously, it was not easy, but we did see transition of powers that goes from one government to the next. We've seen a peaceful transition of uh, presidential um, uh, positions that went from the first months of Marzouki to the late Beji Qaid Sibsi, and now uh, the current president, Qais Saied. And all those three presidents, they, are, they come from three different backgrounds, uh, three different uh, political uh, backgrounds per se. And so that means the system, the democratic system established after the revolution in Tunisia was working with all its shortcomings, with all of its problems, but as a system, it was working and it was presenting Tunisians the chance to select freely uh, their leaders, uh, whether they are represented in the parliament or represented through the president of the country. Uh, now, fast forward to this, uh, uh, the latest round of elections was in 2019, where we saw the election of uh, pre president, current president, Kais Saeed, who is an outsider, who does not belong to any political party. And uh, I think uh, it's part of this wave that we've seen in many different parts of the world, including the U.S., where, you know, a popular uh, president comes along because he claims to be outside the system. He doesn't belong to the corrupt political elite. And therefore, he finds uh, resonance with the people. And that's exactly what happened uh, with Qais Saeed, especially when we saw that during the last round of elections, he was faced with an opponent that was uh, had so many issues of corruptions. He actually had several cases in court uh, and the court actually allowed him during the last two weeks to get out of jail so he can campaign. And so the choice that was presented to the Tunisian people was an easy one. Um, you know, a professor or assistant professor at that time, Kais Saeed, um, doesn't belong to any political party, was known for his integrity, uh, versus somebody who comes from within the system, somebody plagued with corruption, uh, a media mogul that had very shady associations, and right. so the Tunisian people elected Kais Saeed with an overwhelming majority. Um, I just uh, the, just just to ask you there. I remember when this case came on the scene, and no one really knew who he was. And I contacted you to t at the time and asked you, you know, who is this guy? And you're like, not much is known about him. Exactly. And, exactly. and that kind of benefits came, yeah. uh, newcomers because they don't have much of a track record that people can, you know, really look at. It's like, it's like you right. know when you know somebody who. Um, that has a little bit of history is better than somebody with no history because at least, well, right. you don't know how they're going to react. Exactly. But the, uh, like you said, the choice was so stark that uh, they d decided to take a chance on this uh, newcomer named Kais, who kind of said, you know, sounded like he doesn't really have an interest to rule or to get rich uh, yeah. and exploit the system. But so yeah. what has this guy done since then? Well, the first period since from 2019 all the way to, to July 2021, this president <clears throat> actually has done nothing. He, he uh, even though the system in Tunisia gives the president of the country the, um, the precedence to submit any 
changes of laws, any initiatives. Uh, it gives him uh, the um, um, the ability to influence uh, foreign policy. Uh, he is considered the chief in command of all the the armies, uh, and so he had some you know uh, areas where he could uh, affect change if he wanted to. But this president chose not to do that. Uh, did not submit any, not a single initiative uh, to the parliament to be considered. But however, he 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 waged this. Uh, uh, PR, if you if you can if we can call it a PR campaign against all the establishment, against the parliament, against the government, against the political parties, always uh, d- describes them as uh, political corrupt uh, c- classes uh, that they are there only to enrich themselves, and so he <clears throat> set the stage for uh, when when July 2021. Uh, the COVID-19 was hitting hard. The Tunisian um, society was, we've seen several deaths uh, per day. The hospital uh, ba- hospitals in Tunisia could not uh, handle all, the, all the, uh, the, the sickness and the disease. And therefore, he, <clears throat> he mounted a coup in Tunisia. Basically, he uh, ordered the military to shut down the parliament, uh, held the uh, head of the government, uh, hostage in his palace until he uh, submitted his resignation uh, and basically closed all venues for political parties to act. Uh, and he declared himself as the person that has the authority to rule by decree. Uh, now, he relied on that, uh, on, that, uh, on that period on a very amb- ambiguous um, section of the constitution that only gives him that kind of power for a very short period of time. However, he extended that, went far beyond what everybody was expecting him to do. Obviously, the, the people reacted with a little bit of uh, uh, optimism when he, when he took over, uh, thinking that he's going <clears> to <throat> change things for the better. Again, however, we have not seen any changes. Actually, the system, the Tunisian um, condition right now is extremely, extremely difficult. The economy is tanked. Uh, he is not. He was not able to provide Tunisians with any solution at any level. Uh, he meddled with all the constitutional institutions, put his hand on the judiciary system, uh, dismantled the corruption. Uh, uh, we had a corruption institution that was kind of like holding the governments and institutions accountable. He dissolved that, uh, and uh, practically. Uh, wrote his own constitution, passed it through a referendum that only 25% of the people, 30% of the people at most participated in. Um, So the majority of the people in Tunisia refused to either boycott the election or just ignored it completely. And now he changed the electoral law where he practically uh, banned the political parties from participation. And uh, he's going for a parliamentary elections in December, where okay, well, uh, the majority of the political parties are boycotting. So no. this is a, a one-man show, uh, and not only that, but he's even failing at that. What I mean, what does that say about the Tunisian uh, institutions? I mean, I remember right. what year was it? These uh, the Tunisian civil societies or specific uh, one organization that was uh, awarded the peace prize. 
Nobel Peace yeah, Prize the, for the quartet. Yeah, there was four four civil rights organizations, but the main one was the UGTT, the the labor union, which is the largest. What year was that? This was back in 2015, I believe. Uh, it was right after the um, uh, when they launched a uh, a political dialogue among all the factions in Tunisia and was able to get Tunisia out of the crises of political assassinations and. Uh, yeah. This was 2015, 2015, right. 2015, four years after the um, uh, Arab Spring and uh, the Tunisians uh, came to a uh, breaking point politically. And this quartet, as you call it, and most of the time before it seemed like, and correct me if I'm wrong, that while Tunisians uh, did go to the streets, they they revolted, they overthrew the dictator. But the old state or the deep state or the, I guess because Tunisia was a very secular country that banned religious groups or individuals from participating in politics, the groups that won immediately after the Arab Spring were religious groups, mainly Al-Nahda, uh, which is called the Renaissance. Um, and they were in power. Uh, but then other groups who are really not large in numbers, but were, you know, have been around for a long time, object, especially secular groups, because they rejected anyone, uh, you know, that is Islamic that would be in politics. And I think this was where people were having a problem with. And then somehow this quartet, this national dialogue that that happened started in 2013 and uh, work to resolve some of these issues. Most of it, you know, I think convincing the Islamists or the Muslim Lemanian groups to kind of, uh, to, to compromise a lot. Um, but so what, what happened to these institutions, this national quartet, the different institutions that participated, are they silent during this whole process? Because I remember when this Kais guy came to power and then when he and then um, there was some celebration. But then when he dissolved the parliament and right. did all these maneuvers and arrested people, then there were people in the streets actually celebrating what happened because they were fed up with the gridlock in, in the parliament. So now that he's shown his true colors uh, and and is authoritarian and dismantling the institutions of democracy, what are those institutions doing? And what are the you know the people that were fighting for freedom before? What are they doing? In response, yes, so it's a, it's a great question. I mean, obviously, the scene in Tunisia is is complicated scene. However, when we look at the landscape in Tunisia, you could probably divide the the the, the political landscape into three different camps. So you do have what you called maybe the Islamists uh, or the religious groups or whatever. But the, in Tunisia, when you talk about the Islamists, especially the ones engaged in politics like the Nahda Party. These are very moderate, uh, if you want to call them moderate Islamists, because they're not even asking for Sharia law to be implemented in Tunisia. They actually moved in 2016 to separate the uh, the religious kind of aspects of uh, of political life from the civic, and they declared themselves as a civil uh, party that's uh, seeking civil uh, government. Uh, they're not interested in uh, in uh, implementing Sharia at all. And so, you know, but however, they, they do have a conservative uh, social agenda in, in some aspects of it. Uh, the rest of the, 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 the landscape, you have the old regime and the old remnants and the old networks 
of the old regime, and some of it is the, what you can call it the deep state. Others are still loyal to the one-man rule. Uh, they do hate the Islamists, obviously, because they are the the the, the most organized kind of political party that uh, threatens their, their their rule. And then you have on the other side the leftists. The leftist camp is very strong in Tunisia. It's not very popular but it is very strong in terms of elite. They are very entrenched in the media, in the cultural institutions, in the uh, educational institutions. And they do have uh, quite a bit of, uh, of influence, even with the international civil society organizations. Um, you'll find many of them who work with the, the likes of uh, the U.S. Institute of Peace and the POMAD, the IRIs, the NDI, even uh, embassies in Tunisia. They hire a lot of locals. Um, a lot of them are tend to be from the leftist crowd. Uh, whether they do support the revolution or not, that's a different story. But all of these, all of these, they do harbor this ideological, um, uh, you know, opponent for them is a Nahba. And so some of them made the calculus that when Kais Ayat took over, he's going to get rid of a Nahda for them. Therefore, after Kais Sa'id, if we go back to democracy, they are kind of the field is going to be uh, 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 lacking of these Islamists who always seem to ma manage to win elections. And so they, they saw in Kais Sa'id some kind of a savior for them uh, that was going to present them with the uh, opportunity to win w outside the elections because they could not beat the Islamists in the elections. Therefore, maybe through some actions of somebody, a powerful man like Kais Sa'id, who can get rid of and open the field for them to come back to the halls of power. That obviously did not happen. Kais Sa'id is uh, going after everybody else. He's not interested in being partner with anybody else. He just wants to establish his own rule. And like uh, one of the experts that I've heard this morning at this conference in DC described him as a with a Gaddafi style, uh, that he wants to impose a Gaddafi style rule in Tunisia, who is opposed to any political groups, left or right or the middle. Uh, and that's where that's where we are right now. People are waking up to what Kais Said is doing, and uh, they're uh, you know organizing, creating. Some of them uh, joined the Nahda, the, you know, in, in, in forming this Salvation Front to oppose Kais Said. Others formed their own leftist camp. Uh, they call themselves kind of like the uh, socialist left in Tunisia. And they have about five different parties, very small parties, but they do have a loud microphone and they, they do oppose Kais Said. At the same time, we have the typical uh, uh, old regime, uh, Abir Musi. She's a very vocal uh, also uh, against the Islamists and against Kais Said and against everybody else. So we have these an opposition that is uh, fragmented, that uh, they don't trust each other. Uh, there is some ideological issues between them. And that's why Kais Said is benefiting from this fragmentation of the opposition, even though he is failing to present Tunisians with any kind of solutions, whether it's political, economic, or uh, otherwise. If you're just joining us, this is True Talk on WMNF 88.5 FM. My co-host Ahmed Bidir and myself, Samar Jarrah, are talking to Munji Zawudi.
Tunisian uh, president of the Tunisian United Network. I hope I pronounced your name correctly this time, Monji. Oh, that's great. It's better than Ahmed. Saudi. that. Anyways, Monji. She does everything better than me, so that's no surprise. <laughs> Thank you, Ahmed. Monji, um, I remember vividly before. Before, of course, uh, um, Qais was uh, um, elected, there was some sort of a social media campaign and some sort of a PR campaign for somebody who is not known uh, to become well-known in the Arab world. And I'm telling you because I have so many groups on WhatsApp from people from all over the Arab world. All of a sudden, there is an account for him uh, on Twitter that... Uh, Uh, shows his uh, classical Arabic, his ability to Mm. um, tell a whole uh, speech without looking at the monitor, his handwriting, his grammar, things that are manipulative uh, to the psyche of uh, citizens in the Arab world. Uh, They are always looking for a charismatic leader. And I feel that all this was manufactured. And many people now see that maybe he was really coordinating with outside forces, forces that were interested in not having a successful Arab Spring. Uh, what do you think? These are legitimate questions that people from outside Tunisia, let's say, uh, insinuate that he was coordinating with Arab forces outside Tunisia uh, to bring him uh, and to and uh, this is what the end result of what electing him meant. Yeah, uh, obviously that's an excellent question, and it's uh, and it's a question that plagued us for a long time. Like, how can somebody comes from outside the the system, does not have a political party, does is not known in Tunisia for um, leading a movement or playing a, a role even in the Arab Spring at all. How can he come and he beats these old, uh, very well-organized and very well-funded political parties, whether they belong in the system or they're from the opposition or whether they support the revolution or against the revolution? He he beat all of them. And he somehow in, 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 was able to attract even uh, supporters of, of some of those groups into his own camp to make it through the, this election. Now, uh, when we look back, and there's a lot of studies and a lot of research was done, it is true that they saw that there was a a campaign that was launched way before 2019, for almost two to three years. There was an on-the-ground, very quiet, whisper campaign that was done for him by a very dedicated core of young Tunisians. Now we see they were also supported by by some networks, especially giving them a lot of platforms online. Uh, like you said, these we saw some of these profiles popping up uh, left and right, especially as he became closer and closer to being elected. And uh, and even after he was elected, there was a lot of support that was very well organized online, pushing for this narrative of this clean, uh, not uh, corrupt uh, individuals who rises above all the, the swamp of, of politics, right? And, and, and you know how the situation back home and people always kind of um, uh, long for, you know, long for that kind of leader to come and save, save the, the masses. And um, some people bought into that, uh, that narrative. 
unfortunately, again, um, even those who supported him, even the networks and some of the countries that we know they supported coups in other countries, I think even some of those, they came to be disappointed in this guy. Like he was not even able to uh, uh, affirm and establish his rule and was not able to bring in the, the support even from those who we saw that they rushed, for example, to support the Sisi coup in Egypt, right? I mean, when Sisi made his coup, a few days later, he was uh, awarded with billions of dollars. Well, this president didn't, was not able to do that either. Uh, you know, the coffers in Tunisia are still uh, running dry. Uh, we, we started seeing shortages of goods, like necessary goods. Like in Tunisia, when you say we don't have grain, we don't have flour, that's an unthinkable uh, thing about Tunisia that produces a lot of the, the stuff at home and even has have seen, you know, imports other other goods. And we 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 never have seen these shortages of oil and, and sugar and, and rice and even bottled water at certain point uh, was gone missing from the market. Um, and so and this president has managed to alienate a lot of our typical friends. Um, he, he, the, the relationship with the U.S. right now is very strained. Uh, he, the relationship with Libyan or all the factions is not that great. The relationship with Morocco have seen some rocky, you know, periods. A couple months ago, the Moroccan government pulled its uh, uh, ambassador to Tunisia back um, because of some actions that uh, this president has done that left us scratching our heads. Uh, lately, you know what he did, like, uh, and this was an, an, another move that he did. He issued a statement supporting Saudi Arabia and the OPEC plus decision to lower the production of gas, knowing full well that that decision hurts directly the Tunisian interest. When oil prices go up, Tunisia is hurt um, we, because we buy most. We don't have a lot of gas in Tunisia. We're not an oil producing country. So the, the prices, when, when the production is lower, the price go up. Tunisia is forced to buy oil from other countries at higher prices. Yet this president issued a statement supporting Saudi Arabia on this decision. Why? We don't know exactly why. Uh, and, and so this president is even uh, managed to fail in his own coup uh, that he that he uh, he mastered. And and we still have some questions about who is propping him up. Why is the military still, you know, kind of indirectly supporting him right now? At the beginning of the coup, they did support him directly by putting a tank in front of the parliament and shutting it down. Right now, they pulled back. They they are having issues. Uh, I think from pressure by the U.S., they managed to uh, to to put this president on notice. He's struggling to make the IMF uh, loan deal stick. Uh, we're waiting for December um, executive meeting to, to make sure that is this deal of $1.9 billion. That's not going to be even enough to plug the hole in the budget. Uh, yet this president is struggling and he doesn't have any solutions. And to tell you the truth, I'm, I personally think that it's just a matter of time before this president falls uh, and, and falls. Uh, Manji, you mentioned the um, the army, and uh, people maybe listening uh, might not understand that the uh, Tunisian army is independent. Um, somehow, I mean, uh, during especially the Arab Spring, the, the Tunisian army could have easily uh, stood by Zain al-Abidin bin Ali, protected him, maybe even opened fire. 
but uh, the Tunisian army did not. So maybe if you can just uh, very, very briefly mention the makeup of uh, the relationship between the presidency, the, right. the army, the people, and uh, like you said, uh, who who is like the top leadership of the military? Uh, can they can they overthrow him if they feel that he is uh, sinking the country, for instance? Yes, the, the the interesting question about the military. It's very very important that we understand the uh, what is the nature of the military in Tunisia. It is not when we talk about the military. It's not like the military in Egypt. It's not like the military in in even in uh, neighboring Algeria. The Tunisian military uh, institution itself has seen very. Uh, uh, I think it's because of historically Bourguiba, the the first president after the colonization in Tunisia saw that some of these coup d'etats that happened uh, in several Arab countries during the Nasser and uh, in Yemen and other places. And he decided that, uh, you know, to, to make sure that uh, the military in Tunisia does not present any, any threat to him. So he kind of um, starved the military, uh, provided them with very minimal budget, uh, did not get them involved in any politics or any uh, or the economics of the country or anything. So, so the Tunisian military stayed very uh, focused on uh, preserving the integrity of the of the country from outside forces. But that's it. Uh, very rarely that we saw the political leadership try to bring in the military to you know kind of like protect the main institutions of the government or the state. Uh, if there's like an unrest in the country. Um, but even with that, the military was always measured in, in its interference. And uh, like you just said, that they refused to stand by Zin al-Abidin when his rule was uh, was threatened. And therefore, uh, when Qais Ayyad came, he did use the military. We were very surprised to see these military tanks roll and, and stand by him and close the parliament in a very unconstitutional and illegal manner. Um, and but they did it, um, and and I think they there was a backlash because of that, and now they pulled back those tanks and they kept uh, a distance between them and the uh, and Qais even even and I don't expect nobody is expecting the military to step in and remove Qais I don't think they they don't have the legal mandate to do that, and I don't think even they. Uh, uh, they, they, the leadership, the current leadership does not have, is not a very well known, by the way. You asked me, like, who is the top leader in the, in the, the military? Regular Tunisians don't know who that is. There's some top generals, maybe like four or five generals uh, th that are, you know, some, some of us know their names because we follow this stuff very closely, but they are not a very... Uh, like present in the media or uh, or online or anything. So they, I don't, we don't expect them to do this. But however, if we see major protests go in the streets uh, against Ayyad asking for his removal, they are not going to, uh, you know, side against the people. They are not going to shoot anybody uh, to protect Ayyad. That's all of us Tunisians. I think we we believe uh, from the historical. Uh, and the makeup of the military and its its uh, its legacy, we don't see them stepping in and doing anything like that.
I want to ask you about uh, the fifth president uh, that came to power uh, in Tunisia. I think his name is Monsef Marzouki from 2011-2014, but I want to remind yes. our listeners that it's true talk on WMNF 88.5 FM and Ahmed and I are talking to Munji the Dudi. Oh my gosh. I'm <laughs> the the Dudi. Anyway, so. Zawadi. What is wrong? No, not Zawadi. No. The Okay. Oh, I think uh, back uh, that you know how to pronounce better. Yeah. Okay, so I really want to go to Al-Munsaf Al-Marzuki, who's, I think, a physician, and he seemed like a very great, I mean, great for uh, maybe people like me who would love to see uh, people, uh, uncorrupt people like him, but I felt that he was, too, uh, I mean, like the, again, I don't want to sound like I follow any conspiracy theories, but I felt that he was too much for the Arab world to handle and he really was made to fail or um, especially that after he um, uh, his I'm not sure if his term ended or they ended it for him that he was uh, uh, accused and I think he was supposed to serve uh, in prison Uh, can you tell us a little right. bit about sure, sure. him? I find him very interesting because uh, right. one time I saw an interview with him and he right. said, you know, when you are a president of a country, you are privy to a lot of um, information that is secret, like the Secret Service or the uh, uh, intelligence yeah, in your country tells you. And he says, if I really said <laughs> any of what I have known, uh, I don't know what's going to happen to the Arab world. So So, right. can you tell us a little bit about him? I think I think Munsef Marzouki. He, by the way, he he. Uh, Tunisia have seen five presidents up until now, and he comes in. He's the third president after Bourguiba and Ben Ali. Uh, obviously, there was a short period of time we had uh, Zouri, but he's only for like a few months. Baza, uh, uh, he was only for a few months. But the president Marzouki came right after the revolution. Um, and he, uh, he, by far, and this is even some of his enemies per se, like political enemies, political opponents, they do say that he was uh, a president uh, uh, that was handled the presidency of Tunisia very well, that he was probably the best president we've seen in terms of uh, his integrity, Uh, and, 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 and this was not uh, something that uh, didn't shock us. We, we knew Mar- Marzouki as a, a human rights activist and leader for quite some time, quite a long time. And he stayed very true to those, those principles. Um, and so, um, unfortunately, he came close to being re-elected again in 2014, but he lost to, uh, to Bejikai Sipsi, who came from the old system, But at least he also uh, embraced the change of democracy and presided over the first election and he made it successful. And therefore, when he ran in 2014 against Marzouki, the forces, um, he was, you know, Marzouki lost that election, but at least lost it, you know, with a uh, like three points uh, difference, I think, uh, between them. And we saw, you know, how he handled the transition. He never... Um, You know, try to denigrate the, the his opponents, even though he had differences with him. Uh, he had so under his rule, and even in, during the transition, he really gave us uh, this true belief that Tunisia is moving into this uh, 
democratic uh, kind of club uh, and that we we are, we are, we're going to be okay unfortunately again uh, under this Kai Syed guy uh, one of his first moves um, because uh, when he when he launched this coup in 2021 Mansouf Marzouki uh, obviously opposed that and called him out called it a coup uh, and and asked the Tunisian people to uh, resist uh, this change and what uh, did Kai Syed do? He um, he filed a lawsuit against um, former President Marzouki, uh, and within a month he was sentenced in absentia by like four years in prison. And so Marzouki now lives in uh, France, and I think he's visiting the U.S., uh, teaching a class I think at uh, Harvard University. Um, and he cannot go back to Tunisia, unfortunately. Uh, it, this is this is an ugly, the ugly face of democracy of. Uh, not democracy, the ugly face of, of this coup that we live under. Uh, here comes, you know, a very popular president who gets elected by the people through a political and democratic system. Yet he, as soon as he holds power, he turns around and negates and cancels everybody else, including those who built the system that allowed him to, to get elected as president. Um, so it, it's, it's very unfortunate to see as somebody in, in a giant as uh, Marzouki, um, and uh, to see him in exile, cannot go back to Tunisia facing, if he does, he will be facing uh, years in prison. Well, this has been a conversation with uh, uh, Munji, the Wadi of Tunisia. Yes. Tunisia <laughs> Finally, Network. we got it at the end of the program, Ahmed. <laughs> yeah. um, what, just to wrap up, uh, where do you see Tunisia going from here and why should Americans care if you can just wrap that up in a minute? Yeah, I think I think uh, Americans uh, should care. Uh, I think the U.S. in general, lawmakers in general, uh, they've shown that they do want to see Tunisia go back to democracy. We're, 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 we, we, we see that in some of their statements and uh, some of the actions of, of Congress. I think the administration has uh, kind of like was a little bit wishy-washy at first, but uh, we're hoping that they they stay firm, that they do not want to. We do not want to see any kind of support uh, that goes to Qais Hayed himself, but rather if there's any support that needs to go directly to the people of Tunisia, um, uh, without propping up this regime, Qais uh, Hayed does not have any solutions for Tunisia. He will. Uh, he will exit the scene, uh, hoping soon, uh, and Tunisia will be back uh, to, to its democratic path. I have no question about that. I think the uh, Tunisian people overall, even though they do see uh, a miserable condition on the ground in terms of economics, uh, a great majority of them, a lot of the young people, they still want to see prosperity in Tunisia brought through democratic system and not through a dictatorship because we've tried that. It doesn't take us anywhere. It will, even if it gives us prosperity for the short period of time, which Kaisaid is even failing at that, uh, dictatorship uh, is, is inherently corrupt and it will lead us uh, back uh, backwards. And therefore, I, uh, in the near future, hoping within months, not years, we'll see Tunisia back in its uh, democratic path, hitting the reset button, going to an early election, presidential parliament, and uh, hopefully we'll be back in business. Um, Monji Dawadi, thank you for being on True Talk. 
and good luck. Truly appreciate it, Ahmed. Uh, thank you so much, uh, you and your listeners. Uh, you've been always generous to give us uh, the chance to talk about Tunisia, the land. Oh, it's our pleasure. Land that gives us hope. Our pleasure. We'll be right back thank after you, this. ايدو في قفصك مربوط واذبع مسيبو زيدك للك عشاك يما حبوك قاعد في زنقة مرفوض والمستقبل اللي تشوف فيه متعدي بحبك يا ليلي ويا ليلة واش باش نشكيلك يما وقالو لي ليلة صغيرو في قلبي غمة حب الدين والدير الفوق يحبو يقصو لجناحي قولي ذكراني مخنوق ومنك طالي بسماحي Welcome back to Truth Talk on WMNF uh, with Ahmed and Summer. And uh, this was, uh, a, this is uh, Balti Summer. It's called Yalili. Um, I like him better than the other guy. Okay, I like his this. song, Tunisian. Yeah, this one is uh, Yalili. And it's, it has, you know, there, it, it has, uh, I mean, I don't know. We can maybe go over the lyrics some other days, but it talks about oh, they're trying to clip my wings, but I continue to fly or something. Okay. Um, summer, a lot has been happening. There was, <laughs> they've had in, um, Israel has had its, I don't know, fifth elections in the last um, three or f- years or mm-hmm. how, how many elections now? This is the fifth in, in three years? In three years, I think, uh, forming, trying to form. And somehow, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu is returning yeah. to power. Uh, Amazing. The guy how long has, has, he, like, how long so has he been in lost. power? I have no idea. The guy was uh, very close to going to jail for corruption. His wife is corrupt. He's corrupt. I mean, there is a litany of uh, uh, accusations by the... Uh, you know, by the Israeli government or whatever, the legal department or justice department there against him. But the guy is able to reinvent himself and come back, I guess. Uh, He's actually still under investigation in, um, you know, for corruption. Surprising that you can be under investigation and almost, you know, be going to jail, but still could run for office and win. And... I mean, when people in the Middle East and they talk about the Israel, especially in Washington, they often praise that Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East. Well, uh, how is it really a democracy? Like when they keep seeing the same guy in power and the same figures in power, uh, you know, for decades, um, how is that really, you know, uh, different than or what kind of democratic systems exist? Um, now, of course, that's not even to mention that part that's happening there. But the only way he keeps reinventing himself, and it seems like every time he w- runs, he builds this uh, coalition. That's why they've had so many um, elections is because uh, they have a different style of government there for elections, uh, a parliamentary system. Um, but 
in order to, I guess, win, he has to, his party alone is not big enough to win. So he has to partner and build alliances with other smaller parties. But every time he's done that now, he keeps going to the more extreme and extreme and extreme right wing parties that some are even, you know, are calling them, they're basically fascists and that he would, that are outside the uh, political norms, even for, for Israel. I think one of the guys, one of the party leaders that he recently partnered with has even been sent to jail um, or jailed before for his extremism. Um, what what are you seeing? How is this? And then eventually once they win and then they don't get, of course, they don't see eye to eye on things, then the government collapses and then they have to have new elections. Um, I, I hear online that a lot of uh, Palestinians, a lot of people in the area that you know follow Palestine and the occupation are very worried about this government and what they're willing to do. Why are they so scared? I think uh, finally people can see the true face of Israel, the racism, the apartheid system, the occupation. Let me just read this excerpt from Haaretz, which is uh, considered a leftist kind of newspaper uh, in Hebrew in Israel. And this is an article by Gidon Levy. And he says the aftermath of the elections have shown that Israeli society has become partly religious and largely, largely racist with hatred of Arabs being its main fuel with no one to stand against it. I would suggest that our listeners go to the website of Haaretz, H-A-A-R-E-T-Z dot com, and read what uh, the left is saying. Because this, uh, I mean, how they... They can say, oh, we do have extremists, but when a member of your coalition and a member of your com uh, uh, government uh, is his name, Itamar bin Gavir, and he uh, wants to uh, destroy the uh, holiest uh, Muslim shrine in uh, uh, occupied uh, Palestine, Al-Aqsa Mosque, when he says, we do not want Arabs and death to Arabs. And uh, when young people go to Jerusalem and march and they say bad things about the Prophet and Muslims, uh, then um, it's just showing the true face of, uh, unfortunately, uh, the system and the regime there. Uh, I would strongly suggest that people go and see. Uh, there is one interesting act, um, uh, article, uh, Ahmed, that says that uh, American Jews uh, are to blame for uh, creating Kahanism and uh, because, you know, Kahana uh, and all that uh, right wing uh, racist uh, system and uh, organizing uh, was originating here in the U.S. And they sent all that uh, to... Uh, yeah, specifically uh, in New York and Kahane and, uh, and groups like the Jewish Defense League and that type of extremism. Um, yeah, uh, you can find oftentimes some of these guys that are in New York are more extreme than even people born in Israel. And they're the ones that are exporting. A lot of these settlers that are occupying Palestinian lands are actually uh, people born uh, in New York and they go there. But Summer, we're out of time. This is WMNF on Tampa. NPR News is next. And after that, it's uh, a radioactivity, or not radioactivity, but Stuart, more... Stuart program. will be on. Oh, Stuart, that's right. Well, I know. I was so stuck on this saying it so many years, but um, see you next time, same place uh, here at WMNF on True Talk 